0: This is Darrell Alia and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast episode 193. to the right place Mr. Hollywood himself presents The Before the Millions Podcast, podcast. podcast. And now your host DeRay Olaleye What is going on good people Welcome to a brand Spanking new installment of the Before the Millions Podcast And man on today's episode I'm I, I was excited for this episode To get released It's a really really good episode It's a little bit of a long one, but it's a really good episode that really gets into the details of renovations, rehab projects, staying on budget, making sure that you're profitable, managing your contractors, becoming a GC. It's 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 dope. I like it. I like it a lot. And what's really cool is I was just kind of going back into the archives. Right. And. I don't mean like way back you know, in, in, in the time machine, but just the past three episodes. And I was just like, man, if you just took a compilation of maybe, okay, the past four episodes, including this episode, if you took a compilation of the past four episodes and went off to create your fixing and flipping business, you'd be quite successful, all right? We got episode 191 with Mr. Gabe De Silva, which is all about gaining traction in the flipping business. And as far as your marketing arm, we got episode 192. Where Mr. Tony Javier did a thousand flips from TV commercials. And as soon as you're ready to make it passive and travel the world and do your thing, you can go and listen to episode 190 with Mr. Edward O'Daniel. That episode is called I own a completely virtual real estate business. But today, today is kind of like the the beginning of the journey, right? The crux of everything. And, you know, this is episode 193. And again, it's with Mr. Van Sturgeon. And what we're going to be talking about is, again, for that newbie investor, for that newbie GC general contractor, what should you be expecting? What should you be looking out for? How do you get in the business? What's the scope of work and what is the order of operations? I mean, these are things that you need to know. These are things that are pivotal to having a successful and by successful, I mean profitable flipping business. And again, this is not just for flipping, right? You don't need... You don't need to renovate a property with the sole purpose of flipping it. I mean, you could renovate a property to keep it right as a buy and hold investment, and you can put tenants in there. So there's a lot of reasons why you may want to renovate or rehab a property. And we're going to dive into all of those reasons here on today's show, and we're going to show you exactly how to go about the process. So that's why I'm excited for today's show. So let's mosey on over to the tip of the week. And then our feature presentation The raise tip of the week, make multiple offers, make multiple offers, MMO, make multiple offers. And I don't mean, hey, get as many offers out there as possible, which is a great thing to do. We try to make at least three offers a day, but I'm talking about each individual offer itself has multiple offers. So that means put in another way. That the seller that's receiving your offer is seeing multiple different offers or multiple different options. Now, this is more of a negotiating tactic than anything else, because what you're doing by making multiple offers. And again, this is a great tip of the week is you're boxing in the seller's thought parameters. You're boxing in their parameters. So if you just went out there and you started making offers to seller and you were just making one offer, right? you were just maybe making, you know, typically people who get into the business and they're brand new. They're going to make a wholesale offer. And you guys know how I feel about simply just making a wholesale offer and not being a full service investor. But that's another topic for an entirely other day. What I want to stress today is just making multiple offers for your seller to consider, because, again, if you make a single offer to your seller, When they get your offer, they're going to look at your offer and they're, whether it's a good offer or a bad offer, what's the first thing that they're going to do? I mean, what's the first thing you would do if you got an offer? Or if you got two offers or if you got 10 offers from 10 different people, what would you do? You would compare them all, right? So the first thing the seller is going to do as soon as they get their offer, your offer is they're going to compare your offer to the last offer that they got. Or they're going to compare your offer to the best offer that they got. And therefore you're competing with someone else. You want to close that box. You don't want to compete with other people. Now, naturally, this is still going to happen, obviously, but you want to increase your chances of you being the buyer for the deal that the seller is selling. So in my business, we make four. Well, we make three offers, but there's four options because the fourth option is it's not actually an offer to buy the property. It's more of a consulting type of thing. And nobody's ever taken us up on it yet. But it's one of those things where, hey, if you don't want us to buy your property and do the things that we're going to do to this property to make it profitable, we'll actually show you how to do it. And you could be profitable yourself. So we actually have that option. And most sellers, of course, are just like, no, take my property. Right. Um, So we make four different offers. Again, reason being is instead of comparing your offer to another person's offer, now they're comparing your offer against your other offers. And this goes back to kind of my whole spiel. This goes back to uh, my methodology. This goes back to the motivated seller method, right? Because we have multiple tools. We take down deals in multiple ways. We can show a seller a maraud of things. We can show them what a cash offer looks like. We can show them what a full price offer looks like. And most buyers would never make a full price offer to a seller, but we can. Right. So we show them all these offers and now their parameters for choosing what's the best deal for them is with us. So they'll call us back and figure out all right, between these two offers. How do we make this work for you and how do we make this work for us? So just another little thing when it comes to negotiating and maybe we'll do like a negotiating tip of the week theme because I really, really love talking about just talking to sellers and negotiating and getting properties under contract. It's something that I do here in my business every single day. My virtual assistants line up seller after seller after seller for me to lock up contracts with. So I love talking about this stuff and maybe we'll have like a little, you know, a little mini series of, um, of little negotiating tactics and, Tips and things of that nature. Oftentimes, I just do these types of things inside of our Facebook group or with my students or my one-on-one clients. But you know, this this topic seems podcast relevant, so uh, we may just do the series here. We'll see what happens. And now your feature presentation.
1: Born and raised in Chicago, uh, on the north side of Chicago, in a semi-decent kind of area, but in the in the city, nevertheless. And um, I come from immigrant parents who. Uh, worked their tails off trying to to make some to to make uh, you know make some money to put some money together. I, I was I lived in an apartment uh, one bedroom apartment with my brother and family, and they were saving money to be able to go run out and buy their first home. And I don't know how, but my parents were able to find out that the apartment building that we are actually living in was actually up for sale, and. They were able to, with their monies that they saved and borrowed from friends and family, we were able to put enough money together to actually make pay, to actually purchase the apartment building that they were living in. And that's where uh things sort of started sort of got my introduction into real estate because we actually had our investment property that we're looking after, we're living in. And it was around that time uh, in the in the 70s, the late 70s, when this took place. And I don't know how much you're you're, you're too young to remember those back in those days. It was kind of there's a lot of. There was a lot of issues back then. Uh, you had the RAN hostage situation, gas prices, you had to wait in line to get gas prices. Interest rates were at 18, 22%. And it was a really difficult time uh, to be a real estate investor. And it was just at that crustfall when my parents purchased a building that they had to sort of, you know, got thrown into this. Um, so it was really difficult times. And uh, I remember there's periods of time where it was uh, touch and go whether they were able to hold onto their property because we were going through massive changes in the neighborhood we were living in. So you had, uh, aside from like 60, 50, 60% vacancy rate in the building, there was, um, you know, just along in the neighborhood, just, it just got to a point where uh, building owners would just torch their buildings to collect insurance money. So we was walking through the neighborhood. I can remember so many buildings that were just, were just dilapidated because of the economic situation. It was a really bad time the late seventies, early eighties. So as a family, we couldn't afford to uh, just walk away. As a family, we couldn't just uh, start hiring people to do things. We had to do them internally ourselves. And so that's where I got the background in renovation and construction from the, those experiences from early on where we had to do everything because it was just out of necessity. So from cleaning toilets to roofs to replacing windows, um, painting, plastering, whatever, whatever it took, replacing carpet, hardwood, Whatever we took, whatever we had to do as a family to survive, we did ourselves. And so it's that from that background that uh, sort of launched me into then eventually going into university and having an opportunity to continue my education, where I, I, I took a step back and sort of did a self-reflection of wh- what really drove me, what was what, what, what was a passion. And that's where I, I, I discovered that really real estate was Construction, renovation—that's uh, that side of the business was what really appealed to me, and so that's what I—that's what I did. I kind of disappointed my parents uh, because every parent always wants to have their kid, you know, with a suit and tie and uh, you know, be a lawyer or doctor or something like that. But I, I decided to get into the into the, the business. So um, I first uh, I started by creating a, a company. I was a I was a general contractor. And, uh, and then as, as, as I slowly began to build the business, uh, we're talking about the late eighties, early nineties is when I started to, I started to get, uh, I started to run into people that were in that real estate investment sphere. And then that's where the, that's where I got the passion and, and that knowledge and experience to create the, you know, create the lifestyle portfolio that I have today.
0: Absolutely. I love it. Uh, such a succinct story. So tell me Van, when you when you decided to jump in on the real estate investing side, was there somebody who kind of guided you through what exactly you um you should be looking into like or was it just like hey, I'm a you know, I'm a GC for single family homes, so let me just go ahead and jump into the single family home space. How did you decide on your on your asset class?
1: Well, I I what I ended up, what ended up happening was I I uh... When you start off in business, you try to get anything that you can. So early on i I, I did whatever it needed to be done to to get business and make my business successful. And over a period of time, and maybe because of the climate the environment there in Chicago, uh, it was a good period of time for real estate, and I started to be able to I started started bumping into a lot of real estate investors who were doing this on an ongoing basis. Like it was their career. Where they would purchase properties and flip them, purchase properties and renovate them, rehab them, and turn them into rental properties. And so I started to learn from those characters. And I actually did work for them. And I would learn and see what, what they were doing, where I sort of developed a side business where I had my ongoing general contracting renovation business, but also at the same time, I started to dabble in in real estate investing. And I started with single family. duplexes, triplexes, whatever I could get my hands on. In the early part, it was just just to generate cash. And then eventually, over a period of time, I started to accumulate uh, a portfolio. But I went through a lot of difficulties in the beginning because the mindset that I had was something that came from my parents where I had to be a micromanager. I had to do everything myself. And as you know, when any successful person, you need to be able to have the mindset of being a, of deferring to others and having sort of an inclusive environment where you need to bring in, you got to create a power team. You got to create a a group of people that are on your, on your team to be able to excel more. Cause there's a, there's a saying actually, I think Henry Ford said, there's only so much you can accomplish with your two hands. And so that took a, a long period of time for me to get over because I was used to micromanaging and doing everything myself, which would limit my ability I remember sleeping at job sites because I would take on, I had my, my business, but I also had this, you know, flipping homes. And, and, and we got to a point where I, I was I was just burning a candle at both ends and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't make the next step. And I remember one uh one night I was just lying, uh, I was sleeping at a job site, staring at this, you know, at the ceiling, this freshly painted ceiling, and, and all these things kept rushing in my head about this contractor not showing up, the kitchen manufacturer delaying. On this particular flip, and you know how it is back then, well, even now, you're borrowing money to do your flips, right? And so every day that goes by costs your money. And so it was then that I said, you know, I, I almost had a nervous breakdown. I, I was newly married at the time. I I, 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 I couldn't even go on my honeymoon because I was so focused and dedicated my business that uh, I had to take a time out. I had to figure out something else. I had to figure out a way to do this better. And luckily, I had. I, I, I was introduced to a um, a real estate investor who you know had it all, who was you know had the summer home, the vacation home, had a beautiful portfolio of properties in Chicago over there that seemed to have it all figured out, and that's where I reached out to him, and uh, I said, "Hey, I need your help. This is where i'm uh, I'm at in my life in my business. I need to propel myself uh, and I want to be like you. Ultimately, I want to be like you." And thankfully he was able to, to, to give me some advice. He took me under his wing. Uh, like I paid him as a coach and it was the best investment I ever made because it gave me, it gave me the recipe. It's like walking in and trying to bake a cake. How can you possibly bake a cake without a recipe? And, or it's like, or learning a musical instrument, like you can sit there and bang on a drums or on a guitar. till you're blue in the face. Eventually you might figure it out after a couple of years. But really, if you have somebody there that you can pay that sits right next to you, like a music teacher, knows how to play the guitar or drums, wouldn't it be a lot faster, a lot smoother, the process of trying to get you from one point to the other point, from A to, to Z? Um, and that's where, I, that's where I learned. And I've been, I've been doing that all my life. And the successes that I've been able to accomplish today is because uh, is a direct result of the investments that I made in myself if that makes any sense.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love the the clarity and the vividness. So when I think about how most people decide to become investors, right? Um, Most people either dabble, like they go straight to investor and they just kind of dabble, try to figure it out. Some people maybe become an agent and they figure that's their kind of path to, to kind of get in. You know, you have others who, who become property managers and they, they figure, Hey, let me learn the industry a little bit before I kind of jump in. Um, and oftentimes, again, you have contractors who find, again, the value in real estate and want to start investing. For me, I was an accountant. So I was accounting some of the largest real estate companies in the world. So I saw, again, from the balance sheets, I was just like, oh, this is crazy, right? From a from a contractor's point of view, first, before we even get into um, the contractors that do like, because again, same thing with agents. You see 99% of agents, they sell homes to you know other people and they help people buy homes and all this stuff, but they don't actually own anything, right? They don't ever actually become investors. So I imagine right. it's of course it's the same thing with contractors, but obviously you saw the light. Now, before you saw that, even getting into that industry, getting into that business, right? Um, what's what's the most traditional route? Like how are people, you know, again, to become an agent, you just go get a license and then you start working under a brokerage, right? Um, what what do you see as the most traditional route to actually getting contracting work? How do you even start start from the beginning there?
1: Well I uh, I had the i had the benefit of having some relationships in the industry because of because of my family and so that sort of spurred the, the spurred the business forward but that being said there are opportunities it always comes down to dur it always comes down to relationships it always comes down to creating uh of interacting with people and it's amazing if you have a positive mindset and you're out there actively talking to people what you can what you can come up with like so If I was to start this whole thing over again, I I would immediately I would become like I would join real estate investment associations where you have individuals that are actively moving properties, doing something there that you could create relationships with perhaps to give you an opportunity to do work for them. And it's then through that process. That's just one example. I I find often that people who want to get in the business, whether it's in real estate selling widgets, selling fruits and vegetables, whatever it is, is, that they always want to enter a business and want to be the lowest common, they, they want to be the cheapest guy. And, and, and that's where they're they believe that they'll be able to get market share. They're able to grow their business. And I i am telling you that that is a draw, that is the biggest mistake that people can make. You need to go in and uh because if you go in on the basis of that as a business, you've ultimately there's always going to be somebody else who's going to be cheaper. There's always going to be somebody else who's going to undercut you. So you need to establish yourself as, a, as an authority. You need to establish uh, create positive relationships with people. And then over a period of time, the business will grow. Um, you got to create those relationships. That it's every business requires some type of positive relationships and you build off of those relationships. Okay. That's, hopefully it, that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Um, and even before, maybe even, approaching investors and creating those relationships. I'm sure that um, you'd probably want to give the advice of maybe even working for another contractor or finding work with a contractor so that you could actually learn a little bit more and get a little bit more expertise, get a little bit more confidence, see how they're doing things, uh, so on and so forth. Correct? Uh,
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you can't just jump in. If if your profession is that a general contractor, you need to you got a you need a lot of experience in before you can make that jump. And often, unfortunately, I find is a lot of folks, youngins, want to get out there and be a general contractor or a contractor in general, and they don't have the they just don't have the knowledge and experience to be able to do that. And I often say that I wish that there was a license that is required for you to be able to go run out and buy a hammer because there's often a lot of guys running around buying hammers and, you know, driving around in a pickup truck, all of a sudden they're, you know, they're, they're, they're classify themselves as general contractors. And unfortunately they're not contractors. They, and, and, and there's so much pain out there and I see it all the time. I mean, there's TV shows dedicated to DIY renovations and rehabs that have gone bad. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of them. I, I know of stories, so many, and I constantly get these, I kind of get this negativity because, especially now with the real estate market being so, so, so hot. You got everybody coming out of woodwork who wants to be a contractor. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of due diligence that, uh, that investors have to, they have to do in order to identify the parties that they can do business with on the renovation rehabbing side. All
0: right. How much money can be made? I mean, especially for somebody starting out when it when you when you think about a general contractor who's coming into the game and they're wanting to, you know, be the cheapest. And, you know, I don't know how many general contractors have already studied, you know, accounting and balance sheets and making sure that, you know, they're they're, they're positive at the end of the month. But, you know, um, what do you what do you see there? Like as far as like people who are general contractors that don't last too long and, and what do you see from the people who are actually doing it right? How much money is there to be made as far as like a profit margin?
1: Well, uh, in terms of a profit margin, it depends on the size of the actual job itself. So typically, as a general contractor, if I'm pricing out a $50,000 renovation on your property, I've got somewhere like a $30,000, $35,000 net cost to me, and then the the $15,000 would be profit Uh, on on a... on something that's larger in scale, 100,000, 120,000, then your profit margin percentage terms will decrease, but still it's going to be pretty lofty. And you need that in order to be able to offset. You know, there's going to be, it'd be nice if as a contractor you're constantly working, but you're not. There's periods of time where summertime, wintertime, or you're, you know, summertime, you can't keep up. And in the wintertime, there's not enough work. And so you need, you need to be able to maximize the amount of money that you're making during the periods of time that you're busy. And then and then, sort of if you definitely if you got overhead and staff, you need to sort of tie them over, keep them around, you know, through the tougher months, like the winters and the Christmases and the holidays, where then you can launch into work right now in the, in the spring and summertime. And that, that's universal. It doesn't matter what climate or what area, even you I mean places like Texas or Florida, there's periods of lulls where construction really doesn't happen because, you know, holidays and things of that nature. Summertime, especially out in, that, you know, in Florida, I know it can be pretty tough to to build or renovate homes uh, during that period of time because it's really hot. So that's that's typically the typically what you should be charging what a good job a contractor makes. Unfortunately, when you have these youngins getting into the business and they need to they need to they don't know they just don't know and oftentimes as an experienced contractor you will see quotes come in. And you'll have customers, clients will come to you and say, "Hey, Joe Blow's giving me this fifty thousand. You're charging me 70000 thousand," and you're like, "This is the reason why. This is what I do. If you want to try, give them a whirl. Go ahead." And that's. I wish the best of luck. And uh, time and time again, those same customers or clients who've tried that will come back to me because those people that they've hired, you know, they don't deliver. They they'll grab as much money as they can and disappear or they do inferior work, or they don't show up on time. And as a real estate investor, time and money, time is extremely critical. Because if you're borrowing money, hard money, hard, you know, then you're getting walked over to that 8 12% interest rate. You got you to gotta move. You got to move. And you can't have uh, contractors that will delay you because it costs you money. Also, the market can change. It's all great and good. You know, everything's going up and up and up. But you know, and I know that it doesn't always just go straight up. There's moments and periods of time where things can come down, and if you don't move quickly on a on a on a project, you can end up holding the back.
0: Now, hopefully, I've answered your question absolutely absolutely i'm I'm getting so much value from this now, you named the top reasons why people are kind of you know, people kind of have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to finding and partnering with the right contractor. And once they do find their contractor, they hold on to them for dear life because they know that they are one in a million because of the things that you named. And, and why do you think that some GCs, I wanted to say most, but I mean, you hear these stories so often. Why do you think that some G, G, uh, general contractors or contractors in general just grab, you know, do, do, do this big money grab and disappear with your money as fast as they can?
1: Because they're because uh, if you're a legitimate operator that's why you got to do your due diligence like I've been doing this for over 30 years and so I've got I don't have any issues getting business in any of any of my businesses because of the track record and relationships I've created my word is my bond when I look at somebody in, uh, in the eye and I say this will get completed for this amount of money it does one of the difficulties that I find uh, especially in in the single in the single family area versus the multi-res, uh, single family, uh, when you're dealing with contractors that are in that sphere, is that those contractors are not, they just grab business because they need the business. And, and it's a recipe for disaster because the clients themselves don't know what they're looking for. How many, I, there's how many, I don't know how many times that I will get opportunity to quote on work, especially again, in the single family area that are... Just so, there's just so many holes through them. It's like Swiss cheese And that there isn't a clear, concise goal, plan, strategy to take this rehab project from start to finish. It's not planned out well and it's not. And there's so many things, there's so many critical things that you need to include in that planning and execution of a, of a rehab project that is missing in the beginning. And that's what attracts contractors that are not good. Because I will look at something like that and I will walk away from it. I walk away because I knew that if I get involved in this particular project with this individual, as much as I love to take their money, I know that this is going to end up, uh, this is just going to be a recipe for disaster because the client themselves don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they want. And a a project that should be two, three months turns into eight. And oftentimes, sure, you'll drive through neighborhoods and you see a dumpster. I see it all the time. There's a dumpster in somebody's, in front of somebody's home. And it just sits there and it sits there and it sits there and you're scratching your head. You could build a house quicker than actually doing a rehab on this house. Why? Because you've got a series of players that don't know what they're doing. And then not just necessarily the contractor, it also is the client. It's that real estate investor. It's that homeowner who doesn't know what they're doing that's what i find
0: so so you find that maybe the contractors just get frustrated and you know especially with the the novice uh investors who are maybe paying all the money up front or maybe giving fifty percent up front you find that either they're getting frustrated or they find it better work or another job like what 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 is, what do you think is some of those top reasons why you know they would they would take money for unaccounted work
1: well i as um as a as a real estate investor or homeowner uh and i am a general contractor, i hire i hire other trades. We're always looking for what I call the unicorn contractor. And it's a contractor that doesn't exist, but we all want them. We want the contractor that will show up on time. The contractor will give you the best quality work and is going to be the cheapest out of everybody. Those three qualities. And unfortunately, a, you, know what I'm talking, you know what I'm saying, it doesn't exist. Hopefully, and you're lucky enough, you're able to find contractors that are two out of the three, where depending on the project you're doing, whether it's a flip, whether it's a rental property, whether it's your own home, certain contractors belong in certain particular projects. So, for example, if I'm looking to do a flip, quality may be, quality might not be as important as time and efficiency. If I'm doing a rental, uh, quality might be more important than money. The, you know, the money aspect and timing. When you're building your own, when you're doing a renovation or rehabbing your own home, then you know it might be quality. It might be you don't you know you know what I'm saying. Different Absolutely. jobs require different contractors. And I literally have contractors that I use on my projects, electricians, plumbers, all those types of painters that I've categorized them to the, and I know what they're good at for particular projects. And I will not, I, I will not even welcome them to bid on things that I know they're not good at. Not that they're a bad painter, but their quality, the qualities of set, are not there. For example, if I'm looking to turn around a project really quickly, I know that if I were to go a mom, pa, operator, electrician that's running out of his own pickup truck, he's going to give me, uh, uh, he's going to give me the quality and his price is going to be great, but his timeliness is not going to be there because he's juggling jobs. You know, as a contractor, you're always juggling. You're always juggling. And so when I need him to show up, he's going to probably say, I won't be able to show up tomorrow, but I'll show up next week. So if I start doing that with every single contractor in that project, all of a sudden that three-month contract turns into a six-month. And so I will sacrifice and not inviting that person who I know is going to give me great work, I know is going to be cheapest than everybody else. I'm going to go to a contractor, an electrician in this example, that's got six or eight electricians. He's He's got a crew. He's got a couple of crews. Because on that guy, I know that I'm going to pay more of a premium, but I know that he's going to show up when I want him to show up. Does that makes sense. Absolutely. And so you got to cater. You got to. These are the types of nuances that it, once you're engaged in the process, you've got to figure out if you're a full time real estate investor, or even if you're a general contractor, you need to pick. You need to know your people. You need to know how to strategize.
0: I love it. Would you advise or disadvise me from going to some place like Home Depot and uh, there's a ton of people standing outside for work and hiring one of them as my general contractor?
1: I I strongly discourage anybody from doing that. I strongly encourage people that if you're going to, uh, whether it's a renovation or rehabbing your own home or property or an investment property, that you start with that power team that you've already created in reaching out to mortgage brokers, real estate agents, salespeople, accountants, uh, friends, family, that have already got somebody within your sphere, within your group's, has had some interaction with a contractor and hopefully it was positive. And that's where you can uh, get that painter, the electrician, and all those that, you know, and put your together your team because you got somebody, you got references. The second place, I'd definitely not be going to home Depot or one of those home improvement places. But if you're a full timer, like into this, uh, joining a real estate investment group, Listening to podcasts like yourself is a wealth of information. over there to be able to steer in the right direction and being able to identify when you're interacting with your fellow real estate investor or just individuals that are in that business, you should be able to get information on. Yeah, try that painter out. Try that electrician out. So those are the two places I would start with, and typically, ninety percent of the time, you'll be able to find somebody that's qualified to be able to do your work. But finding that person is great, but you need to have the planning. You need to have the execution in place. Because finding an electrician and a plumber is like an orchestra. You know, uh, you, you can have all the greatest people, uh, or a Michael Jordan on your team, but if you don't have a Phil Jackson, you need you need a, you need a coach. You need somebody that knows how to steer and direct the process. And that's another that's that's extremely important.
0: Yeah, I love that. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit more planning and execution here shortly when we really just buckle down on becoming your own GC and getting started with your own projects. But then let's get back into your story, because, again, you started out as a contractor, which, again, you still contract a ton of work for many different people, but you went on to become a real estate investor and you started flipping homes. What what was so appealing about the flipping model as opposed to the rental model, per se?
1: I love I love uh, rehabbing, renovation, construction. I, I love it. It's in my blood. I, I enjoy staring at a building. It's 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 wired in me. I guess it's because of my because of uh, my upbringing and my life. I, I enjoy I enjoy renovations and I love it. I, I there's so many experiences that I have that are that I love it, and so it, it was natural for me to progress into real estate investments because I saw the opportunity. Of being able to make money, and I like the accumulation of properties. I enjoy to this day going and looking at my portfolio of properties. I, I enjoy it. I, I, I like there's something, you know, you know, something that you can see and touch and it's tangible that I that I love. I like I own stocks and bonds, but you don't really touch. You know, there's nothing there; it's just a piece of paper. Whereas when I go visit my property, I am it's, there's a, there's a sense of pride because this is mine. I look at every single little brick. I look at every little single nuance that's associated with the property. And says that's mine. It's it's my property. It's mine, I love it. and and that's powerful for me. It's very powerful versus owning you know any I don't know uh, uh, owning a stock or something like that. Not to say that's not a bad investment. I mean, done prudently, everything. There's lots of good investments, but real estate for me is the, is a home run. You know, it's the greatest single. You ninety know, percent there's a reason why ninety percent of the multimillionaires out there are based out of off of real estate you know I'm one of them is because real estate has it's the power of leverage is is tremendous and amazing and long as you and you've got that accounting background it's all based on numbers if you do the numbers it all should make sense and it does make sense so I love real estate when when you were
0: growing up your parents had a major impression on you as far as um your the path that you ended up going down, which is real estate again, because of the apartment building that they ended up buying. And that was an amazing thing for you to witness as you've built up your portfolio and you've done what you've done in the real estate world. What type of lasting impression are you hoping to leave for your kids and what type of legacy are you hoping to leave?
1: Um, I, I that that was one of the driving forces, obviously, because I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a family man. I love my wife. I've been married for almost 30 years now, uh, and and I want to leave a legacy to my family and future generations, which I've been able to do. I've accomplished that, so I'm 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 very thankful. I'm very thankful for that because because uh, as you know, you, you uh, along the road, you can always t- take a left or a right, and and all of a sudden find yourself. Um, um, not where you, where i where i could where i am today so i'm thankful for 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 everything that has been provided to me and i think that real estate investment is definitely a vehicle that suited my skill set and the reason why i i am where i am today um i think that i encourage people to find what find that passion you need to have passion if you want to get into into any type of investment vehicle or if 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 that is if there is a goal, you need to find sort of get something that you're passionate about that you love that doesn't come across as work. I never I never saw this as work. I've always this is something that I've I'd live and breathe and enjoy every single day. Um so I'm I'm thankful I'm thankful for the legacy that I left for my family. And um I'm looking forward to now I'm looking more forward right now uh, in my age to be able to deliver the information and the wisdom and things of like that I have Trapped in my head over 30, you know over thirty years to be able to, to be able to share that share that with you and share that with your audience because there's I see so many mistakes that people make that I wish that they wouldn't whether it's actually doing a rehab or renovation properly but also also in just investing in real estate in general like oftentimes I find people just rush into purchasing a property and their first source of. Where they go is they run off into MLS, you know, the multiple listing on the computer where other millions of people also look at the same properties as you do. And I, and I, to this day, I acquire properties, but I, I, I never go on MLS. I, I have a, a network of people, whether it's bird dogs, uh, mortgage brokers, wholesalers, people that are in the areas where I am interested in, they're providing me with deals, opportunities that I don't have, an. I have an abundance of deals. I have p- things that I see that I go through and identify, choose which I want to purchase or explore further. But unfortunately, people that want to get into this, their biggest hurdle is finding that deal. And you're not going to find that deal. It's very, very hard to find that deal on MLS or LoopNet. Um, it's just, it's, you know, what they say, you know, LoopNet is where, where deals go to die, right? So you got to, You got to, you got to, if you really want to get into real estate, you got to be passionate about it and you've got to create the inroads and relationships to be able to, to make you, to get you to the point where you're successful and create win-win situations.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. We've we've talked a whole lot about the planning and execution part. We actually really just kind of touched on um, how to plan as an investor and how to execute to help. Your general contractor or your contractors in general um, do the work that need uh, that need to be done on your property, on your flip, on your rental, whatever the case may be. Um, maybe give us like a a from a thirty thousand foot view, like a like again, you, know, you would normally call it a scope of work. But even what is the scope of work of the scope of work? Like, what do we need to consider? What do we need to factor as we start to plan and execute our first rehab project?
1: Well, to give you perspective, um, whenever whenever I am have an opportunity to price out work uh, on a commercial side versus pricing out work on the residential side. When you enter a multi-resphere commercial buildings, there is uh, definitely architects, interior designers. There's a scope of work and literally a document that is created that runs you from A to Z on the work that's associated with that project, that commercial project. So you have photographs, you have drawings, you have specifications of the type of paint, the size of the baseboard, the type of doors, all of that good stuff is in that scope of work and is broken out into headings for the electrician, the painter, they're called divisions. And so I, as a general contractor, would then take that, break it down and then send those pieces off to the the specific, to the the, the division or to the uh, trade that's required for that particular project. And they would price it out and then put it all together And then there you go. On the residential side, that is not common. That doesn't happen. You might sometimes have a piece of paper scribbled on of what are some of the things that people want in their renovation rehab, but oftentimes there isn't. And that's where the difficulties come. That's where the, you know, the consistencies. I said, I thought you hoo-ha, and all of a sudden you have a circus. And And I actually have an article that I've written that says, don't let your renovation turn into a circus, because if you don't have clear planning and execution in place, a scope of work, an actual physical document that outlines everything that you want to accomplish within that project, how is it that I am as a contractor, whether I'm a GC or a electrician or a painter, being able to extract that information from you if you don't tell me what you want?
0: It's funny, even um, even in the in the marketing space, whenever you go to get your business cards made or your website made and you have a designer, you're like, hey, can you make me the best business cards ever? And I don't know what I want, but just make it look really, really good. <laughs> it, it's just like, well, my, my perception, your perception is two different things. If you don't give me instructions or parameters working, there's, there, I mean... How am I going to figure this out? Again, it's a smaller scale, but it's the same principle. So, yeah. No,
1: Absolutely. And so this is where good contractors, whether you're an electrician or a plumber or a general contractor, when you come across a situation like that, you walk away from it because you know that this is just going to end up badly. Somebody's not going to pay. Somebody's going to complain about it. It's It's just a disaster. And you as a contractor who, again, has a limited amount of time in a season or in a year wants to churn out product, you don't want to get sucked into an evil vortex. And that's why bad planning sucks, sucks in the bad contractors and they feed off of each other and it turns into a disaster. So, so that's
0: let's help so the investors not plan, plan badly. Again, the, these first time rehabbers that are trying to figure out, all right, I got my first property under contract. I want to flip it. How do I make sure I don't end up in the bad planning bucket? What do I need to do to execute properly?
1: Well, first, uh, first, like any any anything, I think you need to start off with clearly defining what your goals are. So, if you have a property you're going to flip, really write down what it is that you're looking to accomplish with that house flip. I want to make one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Great, write it down. If I want to rent a property, how much you want to rent it out for? I want to rent out for eight hundred dollars a month. Write it down. Have something visual that is your is the guiding light of what this particular project is going to looking to accomplish. Then once you've got that and you figure that out, you got to qualify it. you got to validate it. you got to go out there in the marketplace and say, okay, if I want to do a flip and make $120,000, what is there out there in the marketplace that will provide me a sample of a, that I can do this for? If I want to look to rent a house or a property for $800 a month, I need to go out there in the marketplace, identify those properties that have those certain elements. And then once you've had that information, you validated it, Then you got to identify how much do we have in the kitty? You know, ultimately we need money. We need the money for this renovation. So how are we going to approach that? So it's not easy. It's not easy to, uh, uh, it's not an easy process because there are situations where uh, there's opportunities through government grants that you can apply for and get money and help and assistance. I know that they exist around, but there's also opportunities through lines of credit. There's also opportunities through hard money lenders. There's a variety of opportunities to be able to get you to get you the money, but you gotta you gotta first take uh, tackle what it is that you're looking for first in terms of a goal, and then and then once you have got that, you understand okay, this is how much money you have. The next step is you gotta create a list of needs and wants. So whenever whenever I walk into a project, we all wanna you know blow it all up. We wanna replace the windows and the tile and the this and the that and the other, but it may be that the budget doesn't allow for it. And also, there's some things that you can get by with not having to do anything. Like often I find windows being replaced where I scratch my head and say, no, for a rental property, why do you have to replace them? For a flip, why do you have to replace them? If the window, unless the window is completely broken, blown out, or you got a gaping hole in the roof and is leaking water, those are needs. But maybe replacing windows a want, maybe you know, replacing that shaggy blue carpet that's from the 1970s it's so functional and it's ugly, but it's still functional. Maybe you bypass that and you touch on other things to renovate, dress up the house if you're looking for a flip or looking for a rental. So once you've been able to put all of those pieces together, then you move on into creating a scope of work. And it's literally a document that you've got to sit down and you've got to identify the things that you want to accomplish. And part of that is doing little sketches, taking photographs of the existing area and adding as much information as you can within the document And to be able to put it in a position where anybody who bids on it is able to clearly and understand precisely what it is exactly you want. So that when you get bids back from the electrician, the plumber, who, whatever, they're all comparing apples to apples. Because oftentimes I find new real estate investors or even old ones who keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Going through the process of being able to find contractors or quoting apples to apples, and they allow the contractor to put their quote together. quotes put their quote quote together based on what?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is um, that's really invaluable information because most people would actually maybe go out and find a contractor. And bring the contractor to the property and ask the contractor, what do you think I should get done to you know, to get this property right? And again, you can, you can get bids from three different contractors and they'll give you three different way off bids because what they think and what their goal is or what they think your goal is may be totally off from what your actual goal is. So I love how you're able to start with the goal first, know what you want as far as like a numeric number, how hey, I want to make this amount of money. Once you actually know that goal, you want to actually see if you have or see what kind of capital you have access to. Okay. Um, because again, you can have a goal and not have access to that capital. So know what, what kind of access you have capital to and and how you could actually meet this goal. And then you create your needs and wants list. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, needs and wants list is really going to show you, Hey, this is what we need to get done. And if we have maybe room in the budget, this is what we want to get done. Okay. Absolutely. I love that. So once you have that and you have that written out, you have that planned out, you've taken your pictures, you can now send the same list to every single GC for the perfect, hey, this is the scope of work and everybody has the same as that scope of work. So you can get comparable bids, even if the even if the actual bids themselves are totally different. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. And because you're basing, you're basing all the quotes are going to be based on this particular document. And so I I I I tell people that they need to in order really to be successful in this business that is uh, that you need to bypass the general contractor and you need to act as your own general contractor. Why? Because this is a business to make money, and why should I pay twenty the twenty the twenty thirty fifty points on a job depending on the size of course? Why should I pay that to a contractor? Who's gonna, a general contractor look over it when I can pocket that money and supervise and look after the work myself. I never advise people, uh, in particular, the new real estate investors to do the work themselves. I have scars all over my body to tell you that that's not a good way to go. People think, oh, I'll just do my own demo. No, no. you're gonna. You're, I've seen so many situations where a demo occurs where they knock out a load-bearing wall, then all of a sudden you end up with a catastrophe that's going to cost three or four times more to repair than what it was worth in savings. So. I always encourage people to deal with professionals and to act as their own general contractor if you are as serious about being a real estate investor. So why? Why do we want to do that? Because if you are a serious real estate investor, you need to have a background and understanding of being able to walk into any property in the future and understanding what it needs and having a rough idea of the time and the costs involved in doing the work. Oftentimes, I see so many uh, and we real estate investors, newbies that are want to walk in and I'll oh, just hire the property inspector. They're just going to get a home inspection done and rely on that individual to give them what you know what needs to happen and uh, work and rely on that. And if you have to spend three to five hundred dollars every pop at every property you look at, it that you can you're going to pay a lot of money. So I think that you need to learn that skill set that you then you can use in the future, not only to evaluate properties. But also at the same time, manage and look after your own renovations. That's where you make the money. You make the money, obviously, on the buy, absolutely. And so many times, I find people just you know just overpay. But you make that's the number one thing is making money on the buy. Number two is the actual renovation. You have to save money on that rehab. And really, the ironic part in this whole process is, and that's often what I find that people is a huge fear for them to overcome. Because think about it. Rehabbing a property that you've purchased, definitely you purchased, if you got a deal, you got a property that needs work. So you bought this property. In order for you to increase the value of the property, literally, you've got to decrease it. Meaning you got to go in there and you got to knock some walls down, knock out a kitchen, knock out whatever. You got to do all these things. In fact, and you're decreasing. this. So if you were to put the sign up for sale after you've done all that, you know getting rid of all that junk you've decreased the value and you're pending you're spending thousands of dollars and that whole process can be pretty overwhelming there's a huge fear because you're looking at money going out the wind you know out the door to contractors and you're seeing this value this what you purchase decrease because you're literally breaking things apart and it can be pretty unsettling for people and then you, with the hopes that when you've poured more money into it that you've raised the value past what you have purchased it for so it's a pretty interesting process. If you think about it, you got a decrease in order to increase.
0: I love it. I love it. We have two final points that I want to hit on before we get to the last and final round. First, I want to talk about um, the order of things. And in, in ninth grade algebra, I can't believe I'm remembering back this far, but in ninth grade algebra, we call this the order of operations, right? The, the way things needed to go for a specific formula. But when you're doing a rehab, what is the order of things? Because I imagine that you shouldn't be painting the walls as the very first thing, or you shouldn't be ripping up the carpet as the last thing. What, I mean, what, what in general should be the order of operations?
1: Well, I, I, uh, this, uh, this whole process for me is second nature, because I've done this, I've I've literally done thousands uh, of renovations and builds in my life. So the order of operations should be typically, you need to work from the inside out. So if you are things that need to be done in removing walls or adding electrical, adding plumbing or changing plumbing, those are things that need to be brought in. So you do your demo first and then the trades come in to do their rough work. It's called roughing in. And then after that, all of these trades will come back when it's to finish. So typically you work from inside out. I always like to, even with all my experience, I always like to get do get my team together and we all are working on the same page that's why the scope of work is so important in creating and having contractors work with one another and so that we have an understanding everybody knows so part of the process of you looking after renovation is you need to be you know you need to be the conductor you need to have the communication lines established where you know what trade needs when, at what time, then you have created yourself a little spreadsheet where, okay, after this is done, then this guy comes in. You got to consult everybody so that everybody's on the same page. If you, if you identify the right contractors, everybody's in it to quickly and efficiently get the work done so they get paid, so they get paid at the end of the day. And so you got to work with your trades and establishing when they need to come in and having that all uh, just the whole process work out. And it's amazing when you get people involved and they're on the same team and the lines of communication are there and you hold people accountable, what you can accomplish. And that's one of the things that I encourage people is oftentimes there's a fear where you, I see it all the time, and I'm guilty of it too, where you hire a contractor and unfortunately, it's not written in their forehead that they're a loser. It's not written in their forehead that they're going to be late. And you might've had a relationship with them. And for some reason, they got some personal issues and all of a sudden they're not producing. That happens to me all the time. So you hire for example, a painter who's supposed to show up on a Tuesday. He doesn't show up on a Tuesday. And all of a sudden, it starts to give you the song and dance and not showing up or the work is not up to par. And it gives you excuses. And it is difficult for a lot of people, especially newbies, to say, get lost, get out of here. I don't want you anymore and go to somebody else because one of the financial investment they already made because they pay too much to the guy. Second of all, they've already... They have a personal relationship and they're fearful of finding somebody else. And so now, okay, I'll just give them one more chance and I'll give him one more chance. And all this contractor is doing is taking advantage of you running off somewhere else because you know he's working because he's got to feed his family. He's working somewhere else and he's going to come around to you whenever he gets around to you. And that's not a way to run a business because ultimately this is a business. And it's run based on time and money. You got to you got to have those things figured out in order to be able to make money. You need to have the everything you got to th- you got to run things. So, I often find that uh, new newbies resist getting rid of that contractor when they should and finding themselves another somebody else. So, right. in my situation, I have no tolerance, a very little tolerance. If you keep screwing up, I'm uh, adios. I will take a loss. I will find another contractor who probably will end up costing me more money. But I will take that on just to make sure that my job runs smoothly. And one of the things that uh, tricks, there's a lot of tricks here, a lot of things that have accumulated over, the, over my years is that you need to make sure that you, you temper your enthusiasm to pay people. You got to keep uh, a schedule, uh, you establish a schedule, and it's based on certain milestones. You can't run out and get 50% deposit. You can't run out pay people more than they're supposed uh, for work that hasn't been completed. The only place that you can do that is McDonald's. McDonald's, you got to pay before you get your hamburger, but none of these guys are hamburgers. I mean, McDonald's. So you need to make sure that when something is produced, you get paid. When something is produced, you pay them, and you got to train them. You got to teach them that way. And it starts from the beginning when you create a scope of work where you sit down, you have a candid conversation. Why do you need thirty percent deposit? Me, as a contractor, I would take as much money as possible from a client. I'll push. I need, I need, I need, you know, mobilization costs and da 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 But at the end of the day, do I really need 30%? No. And if I, if I want to have a working relationship with a client, I would say, okay, give me 10% to start, you know, to, good faith, um, for materials, for, for mobilization, whatever. And then we pay and then you submit your invoice and you get paid. You do work, you submit invoice, you get paid. But a lot of contractors, again in the single-family homes area, drive around with their beat-up pickup trucks. They want, as, you know, they want them, they want money, and they'll hold you hostage. I have so many horror stories of of, of real estate investors, homeowners who are held hostage by contractors. Say they're halfway, to a quarter way through the job. Say, yo, give me an extra ten thousand dollars right now. I'm not going to come back, and they'll hold you. They'll hold you hostage it's, it's horrible, horrible problem, but it happens. Wow.
0: It happens. Yeah. We definitely have to be careful. Um, but I definitely love all the nuggets that you've been able to share. And, you know, again, I think about the fact that there are so many moving parts and, you know, I love the advice of becoming your own general contractor. And I'm only imagining some of my audience, uh, to- thinking like well man i didn't i didn't you know major in supply chain management how do i even figure out how to get all these things to fit perfectly and obviously that's going to come with you know experience and you know of course looking to mentorship and asking people hey how is this done and all those things so it's definitely a challenge but what words of encouragement do you have for that first time rehab or that first time investor who's like yeah again i didn't major in supply chain management. I don't know how to core. I'm not a project manager. Um, I'm just now figuring these things out, but I'd love to become good at it. Um, any, any advice or tools or resources that you can kind of, uh, help those individuals with?
1: Well, I, I, there's lots of resources out there. There's sort of touch on the periphery. Like I, I dedicated myself to try to get as much information out there as possible to people so that they have a, a good understanding of what are the steps. Uh, cause I've written a lot about it and I've, and, and, um, so you can find that information on my on my website. It's uh, vansturgeon.com. And it's an area where I've got, I've, 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 I've there's a number of links and there's a lot of tools that I've, I have there. Like for example, a renovation calculator. Like part of the process before you want to get too far into the weeds about what, determining whether you want to do a rehab or not, is is figure out how much this is going to cost. So I have a very detailed uh, calculator that that I offer people that you just put your email and they'll uh, get sent to you where you can enter that information out and really determine what a lump sum price is for the work that you want to get done it's a really it took me several months to put together and it's something that will give you a really good gist or understanding of what the cost would be for a renovation so I encourage everybody to go out there and download it and get that as well as I'm off I am offering a free training to, to give people an give the people an understanding of what the process is, what they should be more detailed than what I could have gone through here uh, today, but give them a better understanding why they should become, they should plan and manage your own renovations. We, we've already kind of touched on this, on this stuff, but more detailed in terms of the steps associated. I really want to help people. And, and I, um, so I suggested they go there to be able to get that information.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, one last question to wrap up this round. In terms of savings, you've given us some, some great nuggets already in terms of savings and and making sure that we're, we're, we're. Watching where our dollars are going. One that you gave us is, "Hey, why don't you become your own GC and manage your projects yourself instead of paying two, three, four, five points?" I love that uh, advice. Absolutely. The second one was to stop being so happy-go-lucky with paying your contractors early. Right? You need to set some type of pay schedule, and you know whether that's paying them for every twenty-five percent of uh, work completed, or you know whatever the case may be, set them up on some type of uh, pay schedule. But what other um, money-saving tactics and, and tips and advice can you? possibly uh give some of our our first time and second time rehabbers
1: well i i, I strongly encourage uh again the I've, I've put a lot of emphasis on the scope of work but with regards to actual contractors themselves um oftentimes i find uh and i sort of touched on this earlier that you need to have clear lines of communication with the contractor and so that uh so that when you need them they come and that's a huge, that's a huge nugget. That's a huge uh, opportunity to be able to, to carry forward a project on time and a budget that I often find um, new real estate investors fail in the planning process, meaning getting all the pieces in place and trying to, to create that timeline that runs efficiently. Because ultimately, the longer you wait on turning over a project, you're literally losing thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars in possible profits in holding costs because it costs money. And so th- that is one of the things that I, I strongly encourage is creating, often because I find that a lot of homeowners sort of kind of, uh, or, or new real estate investors defer to contractors. There's some, where there's drawn contractors, there's there's some type of God. And and that shouldn't be the case. You should be on equal footing. You need to be stern. You need to be able to work off all of the really on the same page and try and be able to get the right, Everybody be on the same page because it's in the end it's worth it for you because of the thousands of dollars that are at stake for you to be able to get your job completed, your know, project completed quickly. So those are things like uh, there's other things, like in terms of I uh like, like uh lines of credit, um, there's opportunities to be able to get uh there's oftentimes home improvement stores have promotions where you can apply for a credit card or some type of line of credit where you can have free interest, free money for six months. There's opportunities like that. like Those types of things exist. But really, the totality of it is where I really want to stress to people. And hopefully, it's a, it's a takeaway, is is, a, is being able to really manage the process. Planning and management of the process is critical if you want to be a successful real estate investor. If you really want to save money, and also if you want to be able to be successful in being able to acquire more and more properties, it's a skill set you
0: need. This episode is brought to you by lifestylenotary.com. Everyone knows that you go to the bank to get your documents notarized, and oftentimes this service is free by your banker. Alternatively, you can go to those standalone notaries where you'll pay anywhere from one to $3 per signature. And to the naked eye, this business model doesn't boast big checks or lifestyle design. But here's what most people don't know. When you perform a mobile notary service, a mobile fingerprinting service or a mobile apostille service and you get paid anywhere from 75 to 200 dollars, even 300 dollars per appointment. And these appointments last anywhere from 10 to 45 minutes. And this isn't fake. I've tested and proven this going on a few appointments and making $500 before noon. It's just one of the industry's best kept secrets. And in a matter of weeks, you can pass some rather simple exams, be up and running and get your first paid appointment. So flexibility and income. This can be a gig where you choose to go all in and scale and create a six figure income or It can just be something that you decide to do on the side in your free time and just make a few extra grand every now and again or every month or so. It's that flexible, but you choose the jobs that you want and you opt out of the ones that don't fit your schedule. I've had MSM students using this second stream to fuel their investment portfolio flawlessly. And now you too can download my checklist where I highlight the entire process and give you all the resources to get started over at LifestyleNotary.com. That's LifestyleNotary.com. And if you're a newbie investor and you're looking for some side income that doesn't take your eye off the ball, but further ingrains your contacts and your knowledge in the real estate industry while getting paid, then head over to LifestyleNotary.com and download my checklist today. Oh, and if you have a heavy duty printer, your startup costs for this hustle will run you for less than one hundred and fifty dollars. Can you say mind blown? Lifestyle Notary dot com lifestyle design acceleration hacks what is your favorite before the millions book
1: before the millions book uh think and grow rich by napoleon hill love it
0: what is your favorite lifestyle design app this can be a business app or tool
1: I actually really find uh, I find uh, I have a QuickBooks app that I that I use uh, that I find very uh, find very useful because I've got a series of companies and and it is able to you could go into it and and then you can appoint a certain company and then whatever expenses you have you can run through. So I find that very useful for me.
0: Is that also the the software that you use to keep track of all um, all your expenses for all your properties and all the?
1: I do, I do, uh, but I, 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 I'm not exactly sure what the actual program is in terms of. There's a couple of different variations over there, but I, I, I have different, a number of different partnerships and corporations, and so within that actual app, you're able to identify all of them and keep them one spot, and then be able to then uh, do your counting. But I don't, I don't look after that. Things that individual purchases that I make that I, I use that because there's some expenses that you have that you incur personal and then there's some of course that's business and so that's I find that app I use that I use more often than any others. Yeah. What about any apps for contracting work? I don't really have. Um, I tried I tried certain apps where where I'm an I'm an old I'm an old fogey so I like the good old fashioned tape measure but I know that there are apps and I've tried them out. Where, uh, where you can point them at certain rooms and they'll be able to give you certain dimensions. Oh, that's cool. I, I, I know. Um, but I, 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 the, the most technologically advanced thing that I have actually is I have this thing where you put it up against the wall to give you measurements and it's a laser that shoots out and gives you, instead of taking an old fashioned tape measure, a uh, so problem with that is I, I still go back to my tape measure because I inevitably you lose it. I right? bought myself three of those things. I keep, I keep losing them.
0: I, I got it. I got it. I love those recommendations though, for sure. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed?
1: Um, well, I ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about appreciation of, of we need to all, we the abundance that we all have. We all should be thankful for everything that that life has given us and provided to us. We all have something to be thankful for. And so I think that's one of the things that's an important component of us, any successful individual is to be able to stay step back and be thankful for what they have.
0: I Love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today?
1: Um, I, as I touched on earlier, like I I grew up uh, being a micromanager and having to do everything myself, and I think that was one of the biggest obstacles in my mindset to be able to move past which was helped by the coaching that I received to be able to take me to the next level. And I've never looked back. And I realized it was very difficult and traumatic because I always came from, I could, I was the only one that could do, I was the only one that can do it perfect. I was the only one that could make it right. Whether it's painting a wall, fixing the window, cleaning the toilet, whatever it was, I was the only one that could do it perfectly. And uh, again, you only have two hands and you need to get yourself to surround yourself with great people that are that you bring on as part of your team. And that's what propelled me. And I needed to get over that negativity. I I needed to change that mindset to be able to get me to the place that I am today. So That's what I had to overcome.
0: I love it. Absolutely. And, and so what would you, how would you say, I'm just thinking about how you would overcome that? Like, you know, you, you're the only one that can do this. You're the only one that, that, that could, you know, fix the window and all that stuff. So how do you feel about that today when you have other people doing it? Do you feel like they can do it, they can do it better? Like what's your mindset to make sure you're not so traumatized?
1: Um, the reason why I, I, I just that in order to be able to get to my goals, and we all have to establish goals and work toward our goals. And, I, and I'm really into goal setting. It's extremely, extremely important. And that's a nugget that I strongly encourage people if they want to get into anything. Goal setting is extremely important. Writing it down and, and visualizing it. But anyways, um, you know, be able to overcome that uh, in order for me to get to my goals, I had to. I had to take a step back. And I knew that I had to bring in these good, qualified people. And once I had these people, I had to treat them well. And they treated me well. It's a process. It's not easy. It's not a, I still work on it because I still you know, will indulge sometimes and try to micromanage things. But I, getting right people in the right positions and creating that power team is extremely important. And I've been able to realize that in order for me to be able to get to my goals, I needed to take a step back.
0: Do you find that oftentimes that even though they may go about it a different way that you went about it, that they still get the job done to a more than acceptable manner? And it's something that you know, that you may not be a hundred percent the way you would have done it, but at least it's 80% or 90% or maybe a totally different way, but it still gets you to the same result.
1: Yes. And then, and that's one of the things that I I have had to learn. And and, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I've had to learn that it was difficult. It's difficult. And I can understand where the, the temptation is there. Like if you are a young whippersnapper who wants to get into the real estate investment sphere, the temptation is there to do this yourself and do that to yourself. I get it. And, and maybe you need to go through that process, but eventually you'll get you're hit. You're, you're going to hit a wall. You won't be able to progress further. You need to then change your mindset to say, okay, I need to create a team in order to be able to take me to the next level. And that's where I hit that wall. I hit that wall that I wasn't able to get through and I was struggling and it was affecting my life and I had to figure it out. And thankfully, I went to somebody who coached me through, it cost me money, but it coached me through the process of establishing or understanding what the mythology should be and trying to disassociate myself, disassociate myself from the actual project and not have it so much internally and to say, hey, this is a business. You need to step out of it. So eighty percent is good enough. Just you got to keep going. So that's what I've had to learn.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you know, if if anything, you know, finances can also be a motivator as well because. You know, I, I just think about how most of our businesses are structured, how my business is structured. Like, if I'm the one getting on the phones and doing the initial prospecting calls, because I know that I, I can talk to people, I know that I can close a deal. I know that once I get on the phone with the seller that's motivated, like, I got it, like, it's easy. Like, I know what to say, I know when to say it, I know how to say it, I know how to hold back, I know when to pause. Like, it's just so much in nuance. And I'm just like, anytime I just let anybody else even get on the phone, like, I feel like we're going to miss that sale. But at the same time, I have to understand that those jobs are five, $10 per hour tasks. And if I continue doing those jobs, there's only so much, so there's a limit to how much my business can grow. But if I let somebody else operate and there may be 60% or 70% as good as me, but I'm able to only focus on the sellers who actually want us to close deals on. And now every single conversation I have is a $10,000 conversation instead of a $2 conversation. It makes a big difference, even though I'm not closing 100% of the people that I know I can close. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And that's the and that, but starting out, um, it, I'm sure you have will have listeners who will listen to this and are in that situation where I get it. You got to do everything yourself. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where you're going to have to transition. And it's, it's not an easy transition because you're going to need, need to trust people and you're going to need to accept that 80%. And, and it's for some people, it's an easy obstacle to overcome. For some people, it's not. For me, it was very difficult because of the background and the, I mean, the you're, background, you You have part. to
0: think about it. You're, you're an artist. I mean, contractors are, are, are in a sense, artists, like they, it's a, it's a perfection thing right there, because again, yeah. this is, this is not, you know, one plus one equals two. This is like, Hey, like I'm I'm actually doing art. Like I'm installing this. I'm building this. i this, this is how this used to look, but now this is how it looks. It's all about visual perception. So I get that totally. Absolutely. Yeah. That, uh, but,
1: you, I, I never thought of it along those lines, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Like I, when I were uh, back then, even now, whenever I take a task, I am passionate about it. If I really believe in it, I'm really passionate about it and I, I, I and I need to see it through and has gotta be 110%.
0: And so, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why?
1: Um, I obviously, my parents played a huge role in my, my, my upbringing, uh, my background, my, my, who I am, my personality, but again, Along the road, there's a number of along the life path There's junctures along the way that you hit a point where you can make a left or a right or go straight. And at that juncture, um, I believe in I believe in the universe. I believe in God. I believe in there's particular there's those particular, particular junctures. If we if we listen very carefully, uh, we are steered in a certain direction and that's the direction we should be on in life. And there are certain junctures that I came across, there was individuals that came into my life that were able to guide me to where I am today. Um, it's not just business related, but in just in life in general, uh, I'm very happy. I'm very thankful for everything that I have. I'm extremely blessed. And I, there've been junctures along in my life that have, uh, that have taken the right road because of, because of. Uh, it's just, it's just, that's the way it happened. So those individuals, one particular I mentioned often was a coach that I came across that at that particular life uh where I was in my life, I needed somebody to sort of give me a helping hand that was there that I could like a shoulder to cry on a crutch. Somebody that was able to say, Hey, this is what you should go and, you should, and give me the recipe to that cake. And, and, and then taking that information, then, and then I just ran with it. So, and it's always been that person, like I've I've spent a lot of money and time in in self improvement, like in engaging mentors and coaches and reading. I'm a, I love reading because uh, of information and, and the, there's always some nugget that you can pull out of podcasts are great also. Hearing about how successful people put together, you know, you get a nugget here and there, but all of a sudden you get to see that the nuggets are sort of like the same. Like everybody's sort of path process in terms of success it yet different, but yet the same. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. This is probably going to be, you know, right around episode 200. And, you know, I hear so many millionaires come on the show and talk about their success stories. And it's just like, dude, like, even though like some fields may be completely different, like you start to see this resounding pattern of what it takes to get to success. And uh, again, it's something that you have, and I've I've been appreciative for the information that you've shared on the show. And we have one last and final question, um, which again, is going to be a super value bomb for us. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions?
1: Um. I I truly believe that it's um, it's mindset. That I think that uh, I think that we're all destined. We we have a destiny, and it's a matter of opening ourselves up to being thankful for what uh, what the world has provided to us so far, and being able to uh, visualize the goals that we have already that we want to accomplish and achieve, and just a matter of time and just slowly over a period of time working on those goals. There's a saying that you can't eat an elephant all at once. You can only take, you take bites, you take bites. And so the part of the larger goal of trying to be able to get to the millions, perhaps though there should be smaller goals and sort of certain milestones that one should strive for that they can overcome. So it might be the first 100,000, it might be the next 500,000 and then eventually to a million dollars. And so just a series of incremental steps of progress, of improvement that eventually will get you to the point where you are, where you want to be. You you know where you are. You should be thankful for where you are because there there's lots of people around us who are not where we are. So you you should be thankful for where you are, establish near-term and long-term goals, and then work your way. It's, it, it requires work, but you got to be passionate about, we're all blessed with a gift. We're all blessed with something. I've been blessed with a gift and I know what that gift is. And when I, uh, we got to identify what that gift is. And once you've identified that gift, it becomes effortless. We all have that gift. It may be you know learning how you can you can bake a cake or you can you know make a widget. I don't know what that gift is. I know that what that gift is. So when you asked me earlier about how did you get into this, it just was natural to me. It's I love I love it. I it's not work for me. Talking about it is not work for me. It's not pulling words out of my mouth. I enjoy talking about it because I'm passionate about it. I love I love real estate, I love renovations and 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 building. I love all that kind of stuff. So I encourage people to find what their gift is and then taking that gift and setting incremental goals to the larger goal. Goal setting is extremely important.
0: I love it. I love it. Van, this has been an extremely uh, just impactful podcast episode. If the listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, they want to maybe ask you a question or two, find out some of your information where they can find your work, figure out how to get started. Where can they find some of your information?
1: Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm, I've got a YouTube channel and I have Facebook and all that, all that stuff, but I, I encourage people to go if you really want to learn more about me and and there's a lot of interesting information and tools that I would have available to you to go to my website at vansturgeon.com. It's a nice area where, uh, where, where there's resources there and again, free training that i like to be able to help people. Ultimately, I'm doing this. I really genuinely want to help people because I know the fear associated with taking on a renovation. The, you know, the rehabbing process is not easy. There's thousands and thousands of dollars there at stake. And I really want to help people sort of shepherd them through the process so that they're ultimately, they learn, they're able to make money through, and then also at the same time, they learn a skill set. So I encourage people to go to my website and, and they can reach out to me there or through Facebook and Instagram.
0: Love it. Absolutely. And the links to everything that we've discussed on today's episode will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Mr. Van, this has been an amazing podcast episode, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you.